didn't even give me an introduction. Wow. I'm kidding. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Appreciated Nathan's message this morning. That was wonderful. It kind of helps. I'm kind of preaching along the same lines. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at verse 27 to begin. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, help, uh, healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healings. Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing." And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Tonight I want to be looking at love and the church. Love and the church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to learn of love. Lord, we know that you are love. And Lord, though this world has very skewed uh, imaginations of what love is, we thank, we're thankful that we can open your word and examine the truth about it, and that your life and the gifts that you've given to us is a demonstration of love. Lord, we pray you'd help us to love you more and more, help us to love each other. And Lord, I pray you just help me as I preach, help me to preach. Lord, what your word says and not my own opinions, I pray that it would be an encouragement and glorify your name. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. Tonight I'd like for us to examine what God is saying to us in the church. And the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is specifically to the church. And Paul is talking to them about spiritual gifts that, and that people are able to minister uh, in the church. And... Uh, but God's Word is telling us that without love, all the spiritual gifts that were mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12 and acts of service in the church are useless, just as the church of Ephesus were. You remember in the book of Revelation, um, the, the church of Ephesus had, lo- had left its first love. And God said that, I know your works, I know your service of love, or I know your service 
but you've left your first love. You don't love me like you should. You don't have the, the fervent desire to, to serve me. Your motives are wrong. And Paul is essentially saying here that you, know, you can have all these gifts, but the best thing is love. And without love, the gifts are useless. So I want us to examine ourselves to see if we have this love, this biblical love. Do we have a, as a church love one another? And do we love Christ? So first, let's look at what love is. This is more of a topical message, not necessarily expositional, but let's look at 1 Corinthians 13. gives us a definition of what love is that we just read. The first thing here that's explained that love is is charity suffereth long. Love is patient and bearing the offenses of others. 2 Peter 3.9 translates this suffereth long as long-suffering. So love is long-suffering. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. And that's the word there. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Lord is patient with mankind. Though mankind sins against the Lord day by day, and could care less about the blessings that He gives them day after day, the Lord sends blessings on the just and on the unjust, and the world doesn't even acknowledge it. And the Lord is long-suffering to the world. You know, the Lord could come back and just put an end to it all right now, but why doesn't He do that? Or Why does He not do that? It's because He loves us, because He loves the world, and He wants all to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And we should have that same long-suffering and love for one another in the church. In the same way God is long-suffering to mankind, we should be long-suffering to each other. God doesn't write us off the first time we reject Him, nor should we write each other off in the church when someone sins or does something we do not like. You know, we can be pretty petty at times somebody's smirk or somebody's, something that somebody says can so easily offend us or something that somebody does. You know, how often do we offend the Lord and we don't even think anything of it? We should be long-suffering one to another. Secondly, we see long-suffering or uh, love is kind. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You know, you remember in 2 Samuel 9.3, when David desired to do good to the descendants of Jonathan. And he said, Is there any descendants of Jonathan that I could do good to? In fact, in 2 Corinthians 9.3, it says, And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And we know the rest of the story. David took him into his house, and he set him at the king's table, fed him, clothed him. And he was, you know, he was a cripple. He, he wasn't anything. He, he knew nothing of the wealth that, that David was showing him. In fact, you know, he, 
in some sense he was he was hated and he could have been seen as a threat because who was he he was the previous king's would have been his grand his grandson but david didn't look at it that way he showed him kindness now do we seek to show kindness to one another you know we can be so busy and caught up with our own lives that we we don't consider the good that we should be doing. Love is kind. Thirdly, love envieth not. Love does not become covetous. This is the same word used in Acts 17.9, uh, which says, And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. So you, we remember the story of Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. Well, why did they do that? Because it says that they envied him. They envied the coat that his father had given him and the relationship that he had with his father. Joseph lived a righteous life, and they hated that. Do we envy the goods that other people have? Do we become soon angry and covet? We also see love vaunteth not itself. Love does not seek to put itself on display, but exalt others, especially Christ. You remember what John the Baptist said? He said, Christ must increase, and I must decrease. In 1 John 3.9, it says, I wrote, this is Paul writing, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Diotrephes loved to have the preeminence in the church. Now, do you want to be preeminent in the church, or are you seeking to bring glory and honor to Christ? We have this banner back here. It says, unto him be glory in the church. Are you seeking your own glory, or are you seeking to glorify the Lord? Love doesn't vaunteth, vaunteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. Love does not boast in what we could get to do for the Lord and how we get to serve. You know, certain people were desiring gifts that other people didn't have and maybe positions as a pastor or as a deacon in the church that, that they were not given. And we ought not do that. You know, if, if just because somebody gets the, maybe some pastor asks somebody to, to clean or to, you know, who knows. You shouldn't be jealous of the person that gets asked to do that. You should serve the Lord where the Lord's placed you. Love doesn't seek to glorify itself. 1 Timothy 3.6 says, uh, this is speaking of the qualifications of a pastor. Paul said, not a novice lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. So, now there's a temptation there. He's saying, don't, don't ordain a newly saved person, or else there's a temptation for him to be lifted up with pride. Well, what's that really saying? It's saying, well, he might get this idea, well, I'm a pastor now. I'm somebody great. That's, that's, not, that's not what love does. Love doesn't vaunt itself. It is not puffed up. And a lot of these are very similar. Love does not behave unseemly. Love does not act unbecomingly or out of character. 
We should not try to serve in a way we are not supposed to serve or are gifted to serve. Just be, Again, just because somebody gets to be a Sunday school teacher and you're not a Sunday school teacher doesn't mean that you're lesser of a person. The Lord has put, in 1 Corinthians 12, talks about how the Lord has put each member in the body to do a specific thing and has given gifts to the church and people individuals, individuals' gifts to serve in the church. And just because you might not have the gift that so-and-so has, that, that's okay. That's fine because the church is not, it's not about you and your service shouldn't be about you. It should be about glorifying the Lord and your love for the Lord and serving Him that He would have preeminence. Love seeketh not her own. Love does not seek ways to benefit oneself by acts of service in the church but gives preeminence to the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.18 says, And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Our service, what we do here, why we're meeting here, it's not about us. And we shouldn't be seeking to glorify ourselves. This is all that we do, the songs that we sing, when somebody plays the piano, when somebody takes up the offering. It's about bringing glory to the Lord. Love is not easily provoked. Love does not get stirred up with anger and act sharply toward one another. When the pastor or a brother or sister in Christ corrects you or says something to offend you, you should not be easily provoked. You shouldn't be easily offended or become soon angry. Love thinketh no evil. Love gives each other the benefit of the doubt and doesn't accuse without proof. You know, for instance, you might think, you know, Nathan this morning, he was just preaching right at me, and he had me in mind for that message that he was preaching, and I'm offended at Nathan. Well, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> Love thinketh no evil. That's not a good thought. Maybe the Lord just laid that message on his heart to preach, and he didn't even think about you when he was preaching it. Or pastor didn't ask me to do such and such. You know, those things are foolish. They're, they're petty. Love doesn't do that. Love rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Love doesn't rejoice in seeking faults in other people. It doesn't go out trying to find, all right, what, what is Dave Welch doing wrong? What is Andrew doing wrong? so that I can correct him, because I love him. That's, that's, not, that's not love. That's, those aren't good motives. Love beareth all things. Think about what Paul bore for the church at Corinth. Think about what he put up with. I mean, the very people he poured, as Nathan was preaching this morning, the, the very people he poured his life and heart into said they denied his apostleship so this man's not a, you know this man's not of the lord and it's crazy but did he just leave them depart from them and say well forget these people they don't want it they don't trust me so i'm just going to no he was patient with them and he let them grow now, charles spurgeon said this love covers and that word uh, beareth all things, which I don't know if I, I said that, but that's one of them. Love beareth all things, and the idea of bearing all things is to cover. 
And Charles Spurgeon said this about this. Love covers, that is, it never proclaims the errors of good men. There are busybodies abroad who never spy out a fault in a brother, but they must hurry off to their next neighbor with the savory news, and then they run up and down the streets as though they had been elected, uh, elected common criers. It is by no means honorable to men or women to set up to be common informers. Yet I know some who are not half so eager to publish the gospel as to publish slander. Love stands in the presence of a fault with a finger on her lip. You know, and, and even that, I, I agree with that to a sense. We also must have moderation. Now, Paul did call out Peter when he said, and he said you know, get, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not things that be of God, but things that be of men. You know, he, he said that to everybody. So there is a time to speak. There's another time to, to be patient and let people grow. You don't have to jump all over people. And if anybody needs this message, it's myself. <laughs> it's me. But this, this is what love is. Love believeth all things. Love has confidence in each other and believes in the faithfulness of one another unless the facts demand otherwise. You know, love doesn't accuse a brother of doing something wrong unless they are sure that that person is doing something wrong. And that's, that's important. And you know, I remember Bobby Mitchell this past week at Calvary said that, you know, if somebody in the church comes to you and says they're doing this and you're not really sure of what they're, what they're doing is wrong, you should go to your pastor and ask them, hey, what, what do you think about this? That's the smart thing to do. That's the loving thing to do. Love hopeth all things. Love will wait joyfully and confidently in one another as we grow together. Love endureth all things. Love remains steadfast despite each other's shortcomings. Spurgeon again says, If your brethren are angry without a cause, be sorry for them. But do not let them conquer you by driving you into a bad temper. Stand fast in love. Endure not some things, but all things for Christ's sake. So you, so you shall prove yourself to be a Christian indeed. So we see the definition here of love. Secondly, I want to look at some uh, examples of love and see love exemplified. Turn to 1 John 4. Look at verse 7 through 11. First John 4, 7-11 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifest the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Romans 5, 6-10 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You know, God is the ultimate example of love. In fact, God is love. He is the very essence of love. He loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for, for not an equal. You know, if, if I was to send my son to die for, for somebody, that would be sending my son to die for, for an equal, another person. God is not just another person. His son was not just another person. He was deity. God sent his, the, the preeminent one to die for the sins of the world. That is a marvelous thought. And this is the love that we should have one for another. In fact, that's what First John here is saying. And it says here, uh, God says, He that loveth not knoweth what? Knoweth not God, for God is love. So if you don't have the love of God, John here is saying you don't have evidence of salvation. I think love is important. Love is very important. If we claim to know love, God, then we ought to love one another. We see our example through his death. We also see our example through Jesus' life. Turn to John 13. John 13, 1 through 5. This is just astounding. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. So Jesus, knowing that he was sent from God the Father, and that he was given all things, girded himself to wash fishermen's feet, tax, uh, tax collectors' feet. The king of kings took upon himself the form of the lowliest servant, a foot washer. And just imagine being in the room, Jesus doing this. Obviously, this is... This was a custom that was supposed to be done, but nobody else wanted to do it. You know, have you ever been in a situation like that? Maybe you're, I don't know, you're at a dinner or something, and you know something's supposed to be done, and nobody's doing it, and it's just kind of this awkward, and, well, I don't want to do it. I think that's kind of what it was. But then all of a sudden, the God-man, Jesus, steps over, girds himself, pours water, and comes out and starts washing people's feet. And these were the filthy feet that would soon flee from him in the time that he needed them most. 
he would ask them, pray for me, or pray that ye enter not into temptation. And what did they do? They slept. And they all ran. They all departed from him when he was taken. Look at verse 12 through 17. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if ye do them. Boy, I don't, how do you think they took that? (laughs) The God-man, the God-man would do something that they would not do. I I would just hang my head in shame at that point. (laughs) But he did it. And he said, you you need to do likewise. Verse 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye love, uh, that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Jesus showed his church how to love and serve and then commanded them to love in the same way. Why would we be willing to do, or why uh, would we be willing to do what Jesus did? Imagine yourself in that room. Would you be willing to do something that needed to be done, even if it meant washing dirty feet? You know, and these aren't feet that have you know, these nice shiny shoes on them. These are, these are sandals. And this climate is a dusty, nasty climate. They don't have all these paved roads like we have. And again, these were, some of these men were fishermen. What would you have done? Jesus said you need to do like I, like I did and serve and love. Are we above such a thing? Something to think about. The example, we also see the example not only of Christ, we see the example of Paul as Nathan preached this morning. You know, Paul was always praying. He mentioned there in in chapter 1 and in chapter 13, he was always praying for them. You know, that's quite a statement. And he mentioned that not only to them, I believe he also mentioned that to the the, uh, Thessalonians as well, saying, you know, I'm I'm continually praying for you. And Paul was a busy man. You know, what excuse do we have? Paul lived a life of service, of love, of sacrifice. We also see the example of the Lord's church. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. 
It says, this is the day of Pentecost had ended, and, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought, um, any, any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the price of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made to every man according to that he had. And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, the number of the members of this church here was about 5,000, according to verse 4. They did not have government assistance like we have today. You know, today you lose your job, what do you do? You just file unemployment and they can send you more than what you're making you know, when you were working. It's ridiculous, but they didn't have that. They did not have government assistance. The Jewish sect... Uh, sects were seeking to persecute these people. These people had forsaken all and followed Christ, regardless of loss of employment or persecution, and they had needs. It says the distribution was made to those as they had need of it. In the same situation, would you be willing to sell what you have to help those that are in need? Would you be like Barnabas? Or would you be like Ananias and Sapphira, who wanted to have the perception of doing likewise, but actually held back part of the possession. They, you know, they wanted, from what I understand of that passage, they, they did sell and they gave, but they held some back. They wanted the perception of, well, I'm just like Barnabas. I'm giving all that I have. I'm sacrificing all I have. But Paul said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. They lied to the church. And why did they do that? They wanted preeminence. They wanted people to look at them like, wow, look at them. They, he, Ananias and Sapphira, I mean, they're really they're great sacrificing people. Love doesn't do that. Love gives sacrificially. What did Barnabas gain by selling his possessions and giving it to the church? Rewards in heaven. He loved the people there. He saw needs. He fulfilled them. 2 Corinthians 8, 1-9 also, the church at Macedonia. In fact, let's just turn over there. Second Corinthians. This is often preached as a for, for missions and missions giving. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying with us which much entreated that we should receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God, insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. This church at Macedonia gave not out of their abundance, but gave out of their poverty. 
You know, what excuse do we have as individuals not to give? We can give something. And by the way, tithe, tithing is not giving. Tithing is paying what you owe to the Lord. Tithe is the Lord's. So you say, oh, well, I'll give, my, you know, I'll give my tithe, but I can't give any more than that. Well, why? I would ask, why? These people gave out of their poverty. And the problem is today that we have things like credit cards and people are so in debt to where now they're going to, you can't give what you don't have. And that, you know, that's true there. It's explained in the passage as well. And if you're in a bunch of debt, and you're drowning in debt, and you can't pay your bills. No, you shouldn't be giving. But th- that wasn't the situation with these people. They didn't have much. They didn't have hardly any. You know, they didn't have internet and iPads and all this different stuff. They gave out of. They had just enough, but yet they scrounged up enough to be able to give to others. Why? Because they love them. They wa- they love people. They love the apostles, and they wanted the work of the ministry to go forward. So do we have this love? Turn to Philippians 2, verses 1 through 8. And, you know, I, there's no way in the world I could give all the examples of all, and show all the commandments and illustrations of love in the New Testament because it's, just, it's filled with it. But there's just a few here. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy and be ye like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than himself. Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. So Paul is saying, don't be so consumed with yourself, but look to the needs of others. Be of the same mind. Be in one accord. Have the same goals. And as a church, that's what unity is. We should all be seeking this. Glory unto the Lord. We ought not be seeking preeminence, what we can gain, and how we can make ourselves look good. And, you know, again, 1 Corinthians 13, he's writing to them about gifts and sign gifts and things. And apparently, you know, there's, there's some people, they really wanted to be able to speak in tongues. Well, if you didn't have that gift, you know, that's okay. Paul said, no, what a better thing is, is to love. And we can, we don't have that, obviously, that gift today, but we can apply the same idea today that, you know, just be content and serve the Lord. This is, this, the church and what we do here is not about us. It's about serving the Lord and bringing Him glory. And it's not all about me. It's about each other and helping one another. First uh, Peter three eight through nine says, "Finally, be all of one mind." There it is again. Having compassion one to another, love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that ye are thereto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Again, First Peter one twenty two to twenty three. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and to unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. So you say, yeah, I, 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 love, you know, I love the people here, but do you love them fervently? Do you really love them? Do we really love each other? 
Do we really love the Lord? Being born again, this is, you know, this, this is why being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Because we're saved. We're born again. And we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. We have no excuse. Loving is what Christians do. In the word Christians means Christ-like. And if we are Christ-like, we're loving. That, that, that's all there is to it. So, what are some of these practical tips of obeying the Lord in this manner and loving one another? Now, this is, I know this is very, very, very simple. This isn't deep and theological. It's just simple applications here we can make. Hebrews 10.25 tells us, Be in church. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Why? Because it says we're supposed to be provoking one another to love and to good works. You know, we live in a, a very discouraging world. And unless you got your head in the sand, we're, we're not doing too good as a nation, as a people. And we can become so bogged down with that and distracted by that. We forget why we're here. And we, we start to lose our love for one another and for the Lord. So be in church. Be aware of others and their trials and their needs. Now, are you aware of what your pastor has been going through over the past couple of weeks and the hardships that he's faced? You know, are you aware of what Calvary's been going through? Are you aware of what Nathan went through with losing his job? Are we aware of one another and the burdens that we carry? Be attentive to church, the music, but especially the preaching. You know, Pastor gets up here every Sunday, two messages Sunday, a message Thursday, and does that over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, don't you think that could get kind of monotonous after a while? Your pastor needs to know that, that you're listening. He needs to know that you're attentive and that you're appreciative for his, for his preaching. You know, it's, it's a good thing to, to, to sit up, pay attention, and to, to say amen. You know, we're not... <laughs> We're not a bunch of Pentecostals. But at the same time, you know what saying amen does in church? It helps wake everybody else. It encourages your pastor. And it shows unity when people are agreeing in the church. But it encourages your pastor. It sounds like he's not just up here speaking to himself. Just some practical things. Encourage one another with words and text messages. You know, when Paul had to write to the church at Rome... Now, that was quite, it took some time. He had to send a messenger. He had to send Phoebe. We, ha, we can message one another in about five minutes. I can pull out my phone and send my pastor a text right now. I can send Nathan a text at any point of the day. We ought to be encouraging one another. Encourage one another with gifts. You know, and give, give to, you, if you know somebody has a need, well, pitch in and, and help them out. If, you know, it doesn't have to be financial. We, we have more needs than just financial needs. And be joyful. Encourage one another. Provoke one another to love and good works. Pray for one another. And Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's showing love. 
when, when Nathan gets a job offer and it's some great job offer, we can rejoice in that. That's a great thing. But you know, when he loses his job and he's in need, you know, we can weep with those who weep. We can sorrow with those who sorrow. When, you, when your pastor is going through a hard time and has lost a family member, we can sorrow. We should, we should be sorrowing with those who sorrow. You know, I, and I'm pre, again, I'm preaching to myself. I, we can be so cold and just not, not even consider our brothers and sisters in Christ. So do we have this love? Is the love of Christ evident in your life? And are you serving the way that Jesus wants us to serve? Do we as a church love one another? Do we love the Lord? Or have we lost our first love? Like the, like the church of Ephesus. Now, they had good works. They were doing the work of the ministry in the sense that they were you know, showing up for service and all that and maybe witnessing whatnot, but they had lost their love for one another and their zeal for the Lord. And that's such a temptation, but especially when there's prosperity. When we have much, and you can see this all throughout the Bible, when Israel had much, what did it do? It fell into apostasy. And it lost its, its love and zeal for the Lord. So we must be careful. Do we have the love of Christ? Is the love of God shed abroad in our hearts? Or is it just not there? You know, if, if it's not there, then love is a choice. Love is sacrificing and giving. And all that First Corinthians 13 says it is. Those are things that we can do and act upon. It's not just some feeling like the world tells us today. So if we're not loving like we should, praise the Lord, we can change that. And we can love. We can be obedient in this manner. So are, are we loving? Do we have the love of Christ? Let's pray.